This is WFAE Talks, I believe the 75th edition. I'm News Director Greg Collard, and I'm joined by Assistant News Director Lisa Worf, who also moonlights as our Chief Education Reporter. Yes, I do. <laughs> and political reporter Tom Bullock. He's getting ready to interview Diane Reen tonight. I am. It's true. But I'm happy to take a break uh, from my preparation in order to celebrate our our Diamond Jubilee. Yeah, 75th, actually, right? Yes, it is. And this is actually our second break because we started recording this show. And uh, <laughs> yes. I forgot to... Uh, so I guess record. We I guess got a we few minutes in. It. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a, an invited dress rehearsal. How about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, Diane Reem is visiting uh, this evening, and yeah. she's uh, you're going to be inter- interviewing her, and it's quite a story she has. It really is surprising, and I, you know, Diane Reem is she really is an icon in public radio. She is just. Uh, She's a name and a person and an interviewer that everybody seems to know. I mean, I've worked in public radio, both for NPR and here now for, I think it was, I think it's like 17 years. And I cannot tell you how many times when people found out that I was somehow associated with public radio, they ran up to me and said, oh, hey, you know Diane Rehm? And I've never met her. Tonight will be the first time I'll finally be able to answer yes to that. But her story in researching it, you know, we know... We know she's good at asking questions. We know she's good at pressing. But what I didn't know is all this time, one of the most compelling stories may have been the person who was asking those Mm. questions. Her life just, I mean, she started in 1973 uh, as a volunteer at a radio station, WAMU, in uh, Washington, D.C. She had been a stay-at-home mom. And she was just looking for something to do. And the very first day, they literally, she shows up for this uh, show called The Home Show, and (laughs) the host was sick, and so they say to the new volunteer, hey, why don't you host the show for 90 minutes? And that's how she started. I mean, that is truly how it began, and it's just, it's fascinating. I mean, like all great tales, there are all kinds of moments of of obstacles that need to be kind of overcome. I mean, obviously there's uh, her voice, which she's spoken publicly about. There's her, the death of her husband, John, which she again has spoken very publicly about. There's the fact that she started in the seventies as a female journalist mm-hmm. at a time when most, you know, women on television or radio were simply known as weather girls. It was still a very misogynistic time. And she's just kind of plowed through and has become this, this force of nature. So I have, I have a ton of questions that I'm ready to ask her. I can't wait to hear how it goes. All right. Well, on to other stories that we've been reporting on WFAE this week. We got off to a very busy start. There's this op-ed in the Charlotte Observer by the president of the Charlotte Chamber of Commerce, Bob Morgan, saying that the city council should do a symbolic repeal of its expansion to the non-discrimination ordinance, which inspired lawmakers to have a special session and pass House Bill 2. He argues that basically it sends a message to Raleigh that we're able to work with you. Maybe we could work out some compromise on this and, and move past House Bill 2. But not everyone saw it that way, and there was a lot of confusion whether or not this would be on the agenda. Obviously, they had talked to uh, some council members about this before Monday. Uh, Monday afternoon, it got put on the council agenda. A few hours later, discussion of this was taken off the table, and but it ended up being discussed anyway because you were able to capture it because you stayed for the whole meeting. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's why till you... till ten o'clock was that when? Uh... Uh, I think it was nine. Okay, oh, there's certainly been longer meetings, but it was just one of those things where you. I just had this feeling like eh, let's just make sure. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I spoke with um, Mayor Jennifer Roberts before their dinner meeting, which begins at 5 p.m. And, you know, we all, all the journalists there asked her, 
so what's going on here? Because it was on again and then it was off. It's pretty high profile. And she said, you know, we just we'd been having conversations and we just decided that um, this is us bringing this up now is not going to be it won't advance anything, basically. And that's exactly how everything seemed to be going. In the dinner meeting, they talked about whether or not they should upgrade to, you know, Windows 2007 in their technology department or whether or not, you know, you down at the main chamber, they did what is decidedly the important but mundane acts of running a city. They made appointments to councils or, uh, you know, they, they told residents try not to throw trash out your your car windows that's not a good thing that's not i know you need to pay attention to that greg you really do (laughs) um and to obey the the posted speed limit and it just seemed like everything was done but at the very end of every council meeting they they go through this thing where every council member gets to talk about you know business or bring up something and if you if you imagine the dais um it goes going from left to right. It just kind of goes along, and the the last two people are Kenny Smith and Lawana Mayfield. And as we got to Kenny Smith, he all of a sudden brought up this motion. Um, he wanted to add the debate about whether or not Charlotte should do this first move, this symbolic repeal of the expansion for LGBT protections for Wednesday's budget meeting. It was too late to do it that night, but he wanted it brought up for Wednesday's budget meeting. And, well, I I think the best way to uh, describe the response is simply to play the tape. Yes, here's Mayor Jennifer Roberts. Okay, um, discussion of the motion. It's kind of an odd time on the agenda to do this, but um, to put something... Now, that silence, (laughs) that silence, let me just describe the scene. That silence was just stunning. I mean, you hear that giant long pause and everybody, everybody's eyes just got wide and they all kind of looked around at each other like, um, what are we going to do here? And the entire time, Kenny Smith was just leaning forward like, there it is. Let's talk. And eventually, you know, Edrigs, uh, Councilman Edrigs seconded his motion um, he did so without anybody calling for it because, again, there was this huge long pause. It was like, all right, he needs a second. I'm just going to throw it out there. And the debate got really, really heated. And I think um, I think probably one of the most telling moments was Kenny Smith explaining why he thought that it was important for the city council to um, symbolically – and it would be symbolically because state law trumps local law – to – um, rescind this expansion and what it would do, and then just listen to the other council members just jumping on top of his argument. The surest pathway to build trust is to offer a symbolic gesture of taking an ordinance that's not valid. It's already off the books. If we want to build trust, let's take an action, symbolic, show them that they've got a good faith partner in Charlotte. We're not giving anything up. The ordinance is not, is not valid. That's our so, so the symbolic so the symbolic would be <laughs> what so they're they can do see us. that they've got let's a let's partner in Charlotte but they're going to do what let's let call to question it, every um, I mean we're dug in I get it call to question Councilmember Austin did you so have my question simply is okay they want us to wink and do this action and repeal our our ordinance what will they do yes and that's the key mm-hmm. question. Because basically what lawmakers have said and what Bob Morgan argued in the op-ed, Greg, that you were talking about is, Charlotte, you be the first to move. You blink. You rescind this order. And then 
will do something. But we don't know exactly yet. We, the public, don't know exactly yet what that something is. We don't know how they will respond. And that was a key point that a lot of the council members brought up. Give us assurances. Sure, the, the you know lawmakers in Raleigh have talked to a few of you, but what about the rest of us? How do we know what they will really do? And, Ed, and Councilman Ed Driggs, uh, another Republican, argued that, well, if we don't do anything, that's risky itself. That's right. But I, I'm just saying, at some point, you've got to look a little further down the road and you've got to say, how do we end the bleeding? And how do we not get into a contest we can't win with the General Assembly? There is nothing at stake here. There is no ordinance. This is just about us saying no to them. And congratulations. Go ahead and say no. You'll see what happens. Call the question. And it was defeated. It was, 7-4, to but it was incredibly contentious. And at stake here is really a couple of things. Um, It seems... First of all, there is the economic impact of House Bill 2 and the Charlotte Chamber, some actually city staff as well, now estimates that it's cost um, Mecklenburg County about, you know, they estimate about 200 and more than $200 million in economic activity. Yeah, they said 285. That's project. That, that's that's based on what they said would be the trickle effects of jobs from PayPal. And it's not money we've lost so far. Correct. Uh, but it's it's and whether there, of course, those numbers are sometimes in in dispute depends on correct (laughs) and and we don't know the specific methodology of how they they created those numbers but what was what was interesting though i thought what we emphasized in our coverage was the amount of interest in locating in charlotte the number of uh inquiries from businesses uh the number of client visits are way down Mm -hmm. and that and that was that was those were hard numbers uh, and that's what we focused and it i forgot i don't forget what they are what they are but it's it's gone down significantly and that is key um but that brings up the second thing which is interesting to me here and that's the fact that some charlotte city council members kind of a breakaway group and some republican lawmakers in raleigh are talking about trying to find a way through this and that tells me that Raleigh lawmakers in particular are looking to save some political face to try to find a way out of this briar patch that we're in right now. But since Charlotte definitely said, hey, we're not interested in this right now. Um, I mean, it could always be brought up again. But it's, you know, Charlotte, Luana Mayfield had an interesting thing where she said, you know what? Her advice to lawmakers, grow up. Mm-hmm. You got us into this mess. You get us out of this. So now we're going to have to wait and see exactly exactly what happens next to see whether or not um, they can find that everybody can find a way out of out of the House Bill Two mess, and there's a group that's uh, forming right now, led by Art Pope and a former who's a, of course a Republican fundraiser and worked for uh, uh, in the, the Macquarie administration as mm-hmm. budget director and former Democratic lieutenant governor and former Republican governor Jim Martin. They're forming an organization to try to be. I guess a diplomat of source of, of How about an arbiter, an arbiter. Yes. To try yes. to figure out a way to go through this. And that too to, is interesting mm-hmm. because, you know, this is an election year for the general assembly. The Charlotte city council was elected on largely expanding LGBT or partially, I should say on expanding LGBT protections. They talked about it a lot. They were elected last year. Right now it's the general assembly's turn and it's, you know, it's easy to forget that the biggest divide, the real hot line in the General Assembly is not Democrats and Republicans. It's urban versus rural. And this plays out very differently in rural areas than it does, say, here in Charlotte. So for the North Carolina Senate, which is dominated by rural Republicans, this is a big-time election year issue. So trying to figure out a way where everybody can save face and you don't necessarily, um, you know, cause any problems for those people facing election, it's a tricky task. 
seems to be a, a, a sense that Republican lawmakers that at least want to find a way out of that. I mean, there's certainly movement, but we don't really know exactly where the movement is coming from. Is it coming from the top of re- Senate, of the Republican leadership? Is it in the we don't know. We don't know. What we what we can say is clearly there is a desire to find something. Mm-hmm. But what that compromise would be made up of, we don't know yet. They're not talking publicly about it. Neither really are the Charlotte City Council members who have been in conversations. I, I that asked, seems the frustrating thing, too. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're trying to make that decision, I mean, you'd want some more concrete things to go on, uh, you know, if you're not the one doing the talking. And and especially given the fact that, let's face it, Charlotte, Mecklenburg, and lawmakers in Raleigh, they're not besties. There isn't a whole lot of trust between both of those groups. And to try to work together to find something, again, where everybody saves political face, where you're a real true compromise in that sense of the word. You know, I, I ended my story very deliberately by saying one person's compromise is another person's capitulation. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's what we're facing here. And it, whether or not they can find something, the desire is there. But are the means to get to that end available? We don't know yet. Well, there are other issues in the General Assembly besides HB2. One of them has to deal with higher higher ed funding. There's a big bill uh, it's getting a lot of discussion, a lot of uh, has caused a lot of consternation too about funding for for higher ed and um, and and also there was something on the table about about changing the names, possibly changing the names of of five schools. But that seems you reported today that uh, that that is not going going to be the case. They had, particularly it would have affected three HBCUs, Western and possibly Western Carolina, and I forget the other school, Pembroke. Yeah, the name change wouldn't have affected them though. Yeah, yeah. So the name change of it is off the bill right now. But it was about I mean, giving them the UNC moniker or label. Right? Yeah, and it was very vague how it approached it. It basically said, you know, uh, we want schools to evaluate, um, you know, what kind of impact their name has had on applications, the diversity, the number, and all that. So, um, yeah, you know, they're not obviously talking about uh, schools like NC State or mm-hmm. NCANT, you know, who who definitely have this big uh, name recognition. And, and big student population, it, it seemed to be targeted more at, at, at the schools um, where you do hear every so often, you know, suggestions that, hey, maybe you should be a UNC school like Elizabeth City State, uh, Fayetteville State. Um, and yeah, that, that did not get a good reaction from many of the alums, you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is off the table. But still, this, I mean, this is a big, uh, far-reaching bill um, if this uh got approved. It would uh, basically lock in tuition for four years if you're going to a UNC um, institution. And, um, you know, there's... That's any UNC institution. That's any UNC institution. But, you know, perhaps the bigger thing is that at these five, um, you know, some of them who struggled for enrollment, that you would knock tuition down to $500 a semester. So in some cases, that's like... You know, that's that's, you know, knocking them down more than half of what it is uh, in the idea that, hey, maybe you can draw more students to that school. But you have schools that are scared because you knock tuition down that drastically and they think, you know, where where are we getting our revenue? And in the bill itself, it doesn't say anything about, you know, extra revenue uh, compensating that offsetting uh, that that decrease in tuition. But um, you have Tom, more costs too. If you do get more students, mm-hmm. you have to pay for that. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Tom Ap- Apodaca, who sponsored the bill, has said 
No, he, you know, the plan is that in the budget there would be, you know, about $70 million to offset any loss of tuition um, because of that, that knockdown. But, um, you know, a lot of university chancellors are kind of saying, hey, we're reviewing. We know there are some concerns. Um, Fayetteville State, uh, their chancellor has been very outspoken about this and said, hey, this is a bad idea for us. You know, you have a education that you're saying is worth $500 as opposed to, uh, you know, $1,200. It makes us look like we don't have much to offer. But the schools are that would take effect. They are struggling, right? Uh, yeah, several of them are struggling in enrollment. Basically, they they could have a lot more students uh, coming to them. They are not, not near uh, capacity. And then what is the reaction from other schools in the UNC system? I imagine they don't really like the idea of having tuition locked in for four years. For- well, I spoke with the UNC Board of Governors mm-hmm. chair, and he was careful with his words. He was saying... We're still reviewing this. I think there are some good things. And he, he did mention locking intuition. He said, you know, that, that, that makes some sense. He said it's really complicated to do that, though. You know, you'd have students going in with, you know, at one institution paying, you know, five different rates. And how do you coordinate that across the system? Um, and I haven't heard much about, you know, from other schools looking at this. But yeah. there's, you know, there's some thought, too, that, okay, this is still in the early process. It, it did pass out of the uh, education committee yesterday. The House has not weighed in on this. You know, there's uncertainty about where this is going to be with all all bills. How how would uh, what I mean? Would this is this effectively a, another? Uh, would this be a cutback for the those universities having tuition locked in, or were, or is there extra money being made available for them? Or they're just saying, "Hey, you're you're spending too much anyway. You need to be more responsive to students and and, fam- and families' finances and make cuts where you need to accommodate this." I haven't heard of of extra money uh, attached to that specifically. You know, it's not necessarily, Tom Apodaca said, it's not necessarily that tuition will go down at those schools where it's locked in. Um, but the key mechanism is that it is locked in, right? You know, at those those other schools. But it is a loss of revenue if you're paying more each year. It would be a loss of revenue, I'm assuming. I mean, in some ways, not not necessarily. Really? How come? Well, I mean, I guess you could say we know that this is going to be the rate going forward. We're going to have to set our tuition. Uh, to compensate okay, for that. Okay, to make you, yeah, and I you have know to, what it is. Yeah, and I have to, you know, there, there's part of the bill is, you know, saying, hey, you can't have uh, fee increases over a certain amount and things like that. So I'm not sure how that would necessarily affect, you know, maybe they they couldn't raise it, you know, that significantly to, to offset. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's things like that that universities are trying to get their head, heads around. So the universities themselves are being very quiet. The UNC board is speaking a little, but still with not giving any opinion and just being very, very careful. But the $500 for per semester? Yeah, $500 per semester. I mean, yeah, there's still a lot of trepidation um, from people because, I mean, the thought is, are you going to guarantee us an offset? You know, are you going to just try to bankrupt our schools? Um, and, and close them. Is this a way to to do that? 
Um, or is this really a good faith effort to get enrollment um, and uh, to get our schools uh, stronger? Are so, you, yes, a lot of trepidation still. The, the schools are Winston-Salem State, Fayetteville State, and Elizabeth City State. Those are the three HBCUs. And then the two— uh, Western uh, Carolina and UNC Pembroke. Okay. Now, you visited the the Winston-Salem State last year. You did a series on HBCUs, and they had, they were certainly doing some things to try to expand their offerings to the community, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a they have a real strong nursing program there um, that's really picked up. So, I mean, these schools um, have been trying to to figure out ways to to really draw in students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tom, you want to add to this conversation? I think this is all fascinating because you know, from both sides politically. College debt is such a, a major issue, and on its face, trying to limit that debt at certain schools, it's, you know, it's laudable. I mean, you talk about, I think it's over a trillion dollars in student debt in America today. It's easy to understand why there are, you know, there's a desire to try to keep that debt, whether through the $500 semester tuition or whether through capping for a four-year in- institution. You know, there's an easy way to see that playing to both sides, but the question really comes down as it almost always is with with any kind of law, it's that implementation. Because just think about these schools. Let's say they do get a huge boost of enrollment. You know, Lisa, you were talking about this. How on earth do you suddenly handle a surge of students? You have to hire, you know, more staff. You may need new buildings. You may need um, to improve the buildings that you have. And if your funds are significantly cut, you know, everything on an economy of scale has to you have to consider the scale. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm fascinated with this whole debate. I really am fascinated by it. Well, Memorial Day weekend's coming up. Y'all have good plans, nice plans coming up. Anyone? I'm sure I'll <laughs> throw something in the in, you know backyard smoker. Not, Not sure yeah. yet. Are you going to bring it in to work? It's, uh, only, uh, only if you're nice to me. All right. I requested uh, s- some smoked salmon. You've uh, oh I, yes, I, I haven't done that yet. Yes, because I. Had some recently, and I I still have that taste in my mouth that was so good. So that's my request to you. Smoke salmon. Yeah, go ahead and buy some really expensive food and bring it in and give it to me. That's what I'm asking. (laughs) (laughs) You got got anything going on, Lisa? Uh, Sunday night, eating a pork butt. Nice. A pork butt. All right. (laughs) Nice. Otherwise known as Boston butt, which strangely is a pig's shoulder. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Why they call it a butt, I do not know. Exactly. Okay. Well, I'm going to be in a Saturday a Saturday night bass fishing tournament. Oh, that's big Ooh, stuff. Yeah. England Greg. Yes. Uh, going until uh, yeah, six starts at six thirty at night and going until one in the morning. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Because hmm. uh, we don't want to be around with the. Uh, never been in a, in a nighttime tournament, but uh, want to avoid the heavy boat traffic. It's uh, that's going to be on there. So uh, because of the Memorial Day holiday. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of Catch and release, I assume. Oh yeah, yeah. So, and uh, your environmental message brought to you by Greg Collard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, those are the policies of uh, most tournaments you catch and release. So, anyway, uh, all right. Well, good. Thanks, guys, for another the uh, the Diamond Jubilee is what you call it. I like that name. The- we'll just rename the podcast. Yeah, Diamond Jubilee. I like <laughs> it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.